Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Crime in Coburg is on the increase. That is according to Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff. He says that is no different from anywhere else. An analysis of recent statistics show calls for service are up. There were 14 assault charges laid in the past two months. Two of those involved officers being assaulted. Another two of those involved weapons. Break and enters are up over the last six months. The same is true for property crimes. But the reasons for these increases are not what you think. Let me say that again. It is not what you think. In this interview, you will hear the chief explain how the assaults are going up due to domestic violence. The minor crimes are not associated solely with the encampment. That is despite all the rumors, gossip, and social media. And he will tell us about a recent community canvas his officers did to get to the root of the issues. All of it is meant to address people's concerns over feeling safe. Plus, He will tackle the misinformation and disinformation. I am delighted to have with me today, Coburg Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff. Welcome back, Chief. Thanks very much for having me once again, Robert. Before we dive into our main topic, I understand you attended a flag raising this morning. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, today is the the International Day to recognize trans uh, people's sort of struggle and it's the Trans Day of Remembrance and recognizing those over 300 people across the world who have uh, been murdered solely by being part of a trans person's group. So we met with uh, PFLAG and some interested citizens from around our community and specifically Ashley Bowman. And uh, we raised the trans flag to half mast here at the Cobra Police Service this morning. Why is it important for the Coburg Police to raise a flag to mark Transgender Day of Remembrance? It, it's allyship. It's it's a hundred percent recognizing that those are there are people in our community for a variety of uh, of reasons are being discriminated against for 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 who they are, and uh, for an opportunity as a civic leader to to stand in front of a group of people and just recognize that we understand that there's still more work to be done. That's an important uh, thing to do and to join with our community partners who really live and further this cause each and every day. It's it's very important to, to, to work specifically with Ashley. She's a tremendous resource. On November 11th, members of the police conducted a community canvas in the east end of Coburg to hear the safety concerns directly from residents. What precipitated this? You, you know, uh, obviously we we have a, uh, we are well aware of the a growing encampment that sits on King Street East and, and the rhetoric and some of the information that's populating mostly on social media 
was driving a, a pretty intense polarization between um, interested parties. And I'm not saying either side is wrong or right. I'm just saying that it was really increasingly polarizing. And the amount of misinformation that was starting to populate throughout social media circles uh, was, was really like, oh, couldn't get a handle on it. So we're really fortunate to have great people. And Sergeant uh, Janice McDonald, who's leading a new unit for us into the new year, she came up with the idea of why don't we walk the community, walk the streets and talk to the people who live in this community, hear from them directly what it is they're feeling, what it is they're, what, what, what it is they're hurt, what, 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 what are their, we're not arguing about fear, we're not arguing about whether somebody feels the camp, but how does it impact in their life and safety in, in their home? So we were able to uh, knock on over 100 doors and connect with over 90 people. And those people we weren't able to connect with, uh, we, we left contact cards with contact information so that we could hear from them. So really, it was just that simple boots on the ground, getting to the doors with no purpose other than to hear what is it that's bothering you um, and, and so that we can compile a sort of an action to create an action plan. <laughs> I'd like to talk a bit about some of the results from that uh, canvas. And one of the things that came up was a feeling of uh, a lack of safety when walking in the neighborhood. How do you respond yeah. to something like that? Yeah, again, I don't argue about a person's perception of their safety, whether they're afraid or not. We we always live in fact, and, and we release our numbers, and we talk about the, the, the amount of stranger attacks and how low they are in our community. We're, we're talking about personal violent crime. But it... it Feeling unsafe is also when you're concerned that your property is going to get stolen, your property is going to get damaged, um, that you're not sure. You're just uncertain about what what lies around the corner. Um, so really, when someone says they feel unsafe, what we need to do then is layer off. Okay, what is it that is creating that feeling of unsafety? And is it crime? Okay, yeah, maybe for some people having their stuff stolen or their shed gone through, 100%. That is definite crime, and that is a definite reason to be afraid. Um people trespassing through the property that's that, that that's an eerie feeling um it gets darker earlier now and motion lights are clicking on and that gives people a sense that they don't feel safe in their own home and we can't have that so we moved quickly from i feel unsafe to what is it that makes you or what is it that you think we could change and um it was remarkable how many people said better lighting um, and by that, they were talking about lighting at Brookside, which used to be the rear parking lot, used to be lit up and it's no longer lit up, and the street lights. So um, from that, we were able to communicate very quickly with uh, Town Hall, and specifically, I had a meeting with, the, with, with, with His Worship, and they have prioritized changing the lights in that neighborhood to the new LED lights, which are going to create a better, a better uh, system of brightness and lightness for people to feel maybe safer around increased lighting. We also heard about um, they want cops there at night walking the foot patrol. Like they want to see foot patrols in their neighborhoods at night to address the trespassing, the, the petty theft, and we're, we're doing that. So we've, re, we've redistributed some of the dynamic patrol time we have. We had it downtown over the summer. We moved it a bit to the east, um, but now we'll specifically focus on those neighborhoods. Uh, as well, I released for this upcoming board, board meeting on the 21st of November a, a, a list of all of the calls for service in or around the encampments and surrounding neighborhoods so everybody can see the facts of what it is we are um, we're, we're encountering there. And that's important, I found, so that they understood the amount of uh, effort and work that's being done by the, by the officers Be here. Before you go ahead, can, can yeah. you give us some of those numbers? 
Yeah, absolutely. So for the board report, and I encourage everyone to to look at uh, the e-scribe of the town that I can see this in detail. We broke it down so from about September when 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 the initial uh, began of the calls that began around the encampment. And what we saw, it, it increasing started relatively slow around 35 to 40 calls specifically in the encampment and quickly in the month of October, it jumped up to 129 calls for service at the encampment. Now, a lot of those are proactive calls of foot patrol. Our officers were in and out, Harp and Hart were all in that uh, encampment trying to serve those people. And then November up to including the 13th of November, we were at 21 calls. And the reason being is that we repositioned our attendance at the encampment and saying we have a team who will try to access resources to moving those feet to build those officers to foot patrols in the neighboring neighborhood. So in those neighborhoods, specifically around the two, the two schools, we're, we're, we're talking about 20 ish calls since September to present around uh, concerns from the schools in relation to uh, some of the issues around there. And then when we looked at Thomas Street, Meredith Crescent, Jane Street, again, those total calls are about 60 calls for service. Um, now, that's basically those are focus patrols where our officers are parking their car, creating that opportunity to walk on those variety of those streets. Those are thefts. Those are reports of suspicious persons. Um, those are the in, uh, trespassing, and there's also some traffic act and violations. So, uh, really, what we're what we're seeing is the community is reporting, probably under-reporting. Still, I would I would agree with some of the the, the comments that are being made that these stats are are light. Well, they are light because we only can report what we know. But and I and in, in any circumstance, under-reporting is very difficult. So um, what I see here is our officers are doing the right things. They're, 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 they're trying to address those issues of feeling unsafe um, by being present. It would seem to me, though, 120 calls to a particular series of streets in a particular area of town. Is that unusual? Uh, no, uh, when when you address a concern by increasing our own attendance there, so we knew there was a circumstance earlier on. We're in, working with Infrastructure Ontario. I was of the honest belief that there would have, like in other encampments, been um, some sort of actions taken to to move people along to some other form of shelter other than that. But uh, so we were, we were very present trying to establish connections and resources and try to move people forward. So that number, a lot of those people were our officers being present in that space. And then when we started hearing from the neighbors that they were increasing uh, fears of concerns and safety, we then tried to get into the, the neighbors, the neighborhoods as well. So a lot of those calls, 120, those are when you do a dynamic patrol, when you direct an attention of the police to a particular area. This is what's this is the kind of calls for service. This is what you see. A press release came out uh, and there was a quote from Sergeant Janice McDonald, who you uh, referenced earlier. And in it, she made a statement. She said there were concerns online about community safety and crime related to the canvas. And then she said, and I'm quoting her now, they do not align with the reports that we have been receiving. Can you help us understand what she meant by that? Yeah, 100%. So this goes back to what I said earlier was there's a lot happening on Facebook. There's a lot happening on a variety of social media groups that 
that really isn't true. And, and I'm going to hearken it back to this isn't uncommon. Like this is quite common. So most recently on Friday, the high school in town, CCI had a lockdown. They had an out of control student. And right away on Facebook, it was a proliferation of a weapons call. And that, that and it just took off um, such that now everyone's afraid that there's guns in the school. And it had nothing to do with that. The school had a student that they were trying to deal with in a in a, in a respectful manner and given some of some threats and things like that, they, they made the decision to lock down the school. We assisted them through that program. So that's what we were saying. We were hearing all of these like propane tank thefts. Uh, thousands of bikes were being stolen. Nobody was safe. Assaults were happening everywhere. Weapons all over. The, and it just wasn't true. So we understand it is true that people's stuff is being stolen. We understand it always happens. We've had thefts across the community at all times, and we will continue to see that. So part of the canvas was really getting out and talking, but listening, not not preaching, not looking for people to pat us on the head. We were there listening and hearing to what they actually felt so that we could try to bring the, the norm to it and sort of say, this is what we are hearing. We are concerned about being on our streets with poor lighting. We are concerned about people stealing our stuff. We are concerned about people trespassing on our properties. We're concerned about finding drug paraphernalia in the area. And believe it or not, we are concerned about speeding on our streets. That, that was another one that kind of populated up. So um, I really believe the canvas was just an opportunity to be seen and to listen. I'd like to look at this in a bit of a broader context. The police service releases biweekly reports related to what it would call minor crime. This includes break and enters, thefts, mischief, fraud, and property crimes. Now, from the end of June to the beginning of November, based on your public reports, there were 15 break and enters. Now, most times it was one or two during a week period, but the most recent reports, there were seven. Is this spike significant? Is this something people should be concerned about overall? I mean, are we seeing an increase in crime in Coburg? related to break and enters uh, uh yeah well just based on those numbers one would say that there is an increase in break and enters i always like to look at the break and enters across a much larger spectrum than a few months based i like to compare it to years to years um i believe we're trending slightly above what we were last year in relation to break and enters and a bulk of those that i don't have the data right in front of me but the bulk of that data is that actually our biggest increase in break and enters are our businesses not residences so um yes it's concerning uh but in fact when you start separating residential versus uh, business break and enters it's a different it's a bit of a different context for us um in, in how we respond to that but overall is crime increasing across canada the crime severity index last year did increase and everything i hear from my peers is that we're going to see a similar trend for probably another three to five percent increase in the crime severity index across Canada. Um, and I, I would say that without getting the data right in front of me, um, I would say that Cobra is no different. Well, that's interesting because during the same period, there were 15 thefts from vehicles. Uh, there were also mischief, 20 incidents where charges were laid. And again, the most recent were some of the highest numbers during uh, that period of time, that six month period. So, you know, and we're looking at fraud charges. There were 26. So are things like mischief and fraud and property crime, are we seeing an increase? And is that what's driving some of this anxiety that you're seeing on social media? I, yeah, I would agree. Just on the numbers you're, you're providing, again, I hate uh, tunneling, tunneling numbers into a, a two or three month period because theft from auto is a great example. You could have a group of people 
break into hundreds of cars over the course of one month and to completely skew uh, your numbers. Uh, so yeah, I, I like like I said, I would suggest to you, like our calls for service, for instance, this year um, are going to far surpass uh, calls for service from all years past. In fact, uh, going back to 2014 to present, we're probably going to see a 136% increase in calls for service. So in other words, when I came in um, early parts of 2014 or late parts of 2014, um, our calls have steadily increased with a minor uh, variance around COVID. Uh, but even then, that uh, variance was minor. So yes, calls are trending upwards, calls for service, that is. The nature of the calls are changing and they always will change. So overall, um, without looking at the data from a whole year and comparing it to a year upon year upon year, at least a three to five year cycle, I would agree that it appears that crime, property crime is increasing. Well, I appreciate the fact that you like to look at numbers in a, in a year to year context. That makes a lot of sense when you do your annual reports, et cetera. But again, just breaking it down, there were 14 assaults in the last two months, two involved police, three involving weapons. I mean, people, you know, when they see this kind of stuff and you, you hear it on the, on the news and, and people are aware that this stuff is going on, what is with all that? What, what's really going on out there, especially when it comes to assaults? You know what? Um, assaults are a unique thing. Most of our assaults are solved in the sense that we know who the person is. Um, we have seen an increase in domestic violence, um, both in domestic disturbances and domestic violence calls for service. Uh, we have seen a, a market trend increase in, in that intimate partner violence. So again, our partnerships with Cornerstone are so integral and important in that. Um, Yes, we have seen an increase in assault police, and I think that maybe speaks to the the general tone of of how people um, are reacting. It's it's not a it's not a obviously it's it's not a unique um, an, an assault when a police officer is assaulted. Generally, it's the police officer is engaging in an arrest, and as course of the arrest, there's some sort of physical altercation, and the police officer is assaulted. Uh, so overall, we really want to focus on what our clearance rates are in violent crime, and are we addressing the violent crime rates by solving those cases? Now, that doesn't mean all cases are going to court. Um, all of our personal person crimes, so robberies and assaults, they're victim-centered, and I've said this before on this show. In other words, a victim may not feel comfortable in proceeding through court with this process. Um, and if that's what their wish is, then we do not go to court, but the matter is still resolved and solved. So, um, yeah, overall, it's a it's a trying time across the community. It's a tr it's a trying time across the province and across the, the globe, if you will. And and I and I truly believe there's a fair amount of stress from economics, financial economics. Um, uh, this community, um, some of the rhetoric we heard on social media is they want to blame all the violence on on the folks from the encampment. There's nothing to do with that sometimes. Intimate partner violence occurs every day, everywhere, unfortunately, way too much. So again, we are going to continue. We were successful in receiving a, a grant. Um, when that grant is going to provide great uh, enhancements to our already existing partnerships with Cornerstone and some embedded training for high schools and for, for, our, for our officers. Uh, we recently had a coroner's inquest going back to the incidents in 2017 at the hospital, which really focused around intimate partner violence and called all basically all of the recommendations that called for so much work to be done. We're really proud that both us here and in Port Hope and in the local OPP, are, we're already doing that kind of work with Cornerstone. So um, we're, we're, we're well on the right right direction there. 
I just did an interview last Friday with uh, Nancy Johnson to talk about that very inquest, and we delved into it quite deeply. But I guess what it comes back to, Chief, is, again, you were talking about it earlier, this this concern within the community about safety and crime. So the question comes down to what can be done? D- did the public meetings you held in April and July make a difference? And is that part of an ongoing strategy? Um, I, I think they made a difference at the time because there was really, again, there were is that a boiling point in, in two different neighborhoods? Uh, and I think by letting people communicate, letting people ask questions, um, I, I, I truly believe anytime you engage with people, it's the right thing to do. You may not like the answer, and I don't always like the answer, and nor am I looking for everyone to agree. But I think that at the time, they were the right thing. And given the next circumstance, we would be really happy to do more future engagements, town hall engagements or the like. Um, at the end of the day, the community canvas, what we're going to be trying to do moving forward with a, some reallocation of some staffing resources as things big, big out. Our goal is to be very dynamic in the sense that when a community, a neighborhood within our community is struggling with whatever the circumstances are that we're going to have the, the, the bench strength to move people that way. We did that uh, as, as, a real, as a result of the um the second public meeting and we were able to move to that move on to that uh, one particular home in that community happy to say that the collaborative partnership with the town that property is no longer a problem for that community um and and we're going to continue to do that and we know there are continued residences that are continuing to cause particular small sec neighborhoods or communities within our broader community a lot of problems so we're going to continue to do what we do uh the police are always as i say we're always at the uh the, the tip of this in the sense a lot of the intersects between homelessness, addictions, uh, and then drugs it is just, it's, it's something that's not necessarily a, a sole police function, but we tend to be the ones who are, are thrust into the, the center of the misinformation cycle that spins around it. So our goal is to be honest and fair and transparent with our people, with our staff, and with our community to make sure that everybody understands the direction we're headed. And at the end of the day, we understand that crime is is crime is 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 increasing in, in some pockets. Frauds, as you said, uh, domestic violence, some thefts uh, recently are increasing, and we'll continue to do our best to increase our clearance rates so that we're solving these offenses when they occur, and and ensuring that the public feel heard. Um, make sure the public feel that their police service is delivering the service that um, they hope and desire. And as we come into budget season, there will be some things in front of us that um, I know the community will see as being um, a direct result of that. You've talked earlier about the lack of a correlation between the encampment and the rise in incidents. What is the current position of the police in regards to the encampment? Yeah, it's really simple. Um, we are an, an, an agent of the state, if you will. In other words, uh, this is a private property event. What we have clearly here is a group of people who are encamped on provincial property. The provincial property is being managed by Infrastructure Ontario. Full stop. Um, just like when Walmart chooses to ask someone to leave, they ask someone to leave, they have to move we 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 move them along if the person doesn't leave on their own free will in this case eviction notices have been issued but they're not being enforced at the request of io infrastructure ontario cannot move those people along until certain conditions are met and we all talked many 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 times about the waterloo decision 
and I'm not going to debate whether it's right or wrong. It is the current law of the land. A lot of people get mad at me for that, but there's laws, there's case law, and there's common law. In this particular case, the standing case law is that decision from Waterloo Region. And when the province makes the decision that they are going to move on it, then I will ensure our people, along with town bylaw, along with town staff, move safely and appropriately to relocate people. You know the position of the Police Services Board on the encampment. Uh, the Police Services Board, I won't speak for Chair uh, Dr. Kerr, other than uh, the, the board has a governance responsibility to ensure that the police service is being operated effectively and, and adequately per the Act. So the, the chair of the board, in my opinion, should expect the chief of police um, to act according to law within the rights of the law and to address concerns of uh, community safety. Is this a frequent topic uh, during board meetings? Every day of my life since July, I've spoken about an encampment. So, yes, we speak about it frequently. There was another press release last week that talked about a partnership with the Canadian Centre for Addictions and the police. How is this a step forward in addressing some of the issues we're talking about today? Yeah, you know, um, this is where we live in, in a collaborative space. And, and some people maybe say, why, Chief, are you involved in this kind of thing? Well, we're part of problem solving. We're part of community safety. And part of it is looking at opportunities. We understand in our in our community there are people who are struggling daily with addictions. And there comes a time in their lives, and oh, but by the grace of God go I, that that's not me or a member of my family, but there comes an opportunity where somebody is open for help. And having a space to move that person to quickly and swiftly is so key to that person's success. And the great thing about this opportunity is it's in our community. Oftentimes when we talk about rehabilitative space, that's out of community. So when they return to community, they don't have the opportunity for, for ongoing uh, counseling and treatment. So this is a, an amazing opportunity to partner with the Canadian Centre of Addictions. It's one bed. It's, it's one bed a month. And I know it's only one, but it is a start. And that is our way of taking somebody who may be in our space, in that intersect of where police are involved through our MHART or HEART program, and moving that person from today to tomorrow. And what that looks like, we don't know because that's, that's not our job, but our job is to create great partnerships. We've mentioned several of them here today in PFLAG and Cornerstone, and partnering with the Center, Canadian Center of Predictions is just another opportunity for us to solve a community issue. We can look at a lot of numbers and we can talk about enforcement, but it seems to me that this is much more complex problem than simply doing patrols or charging people with crimes. And you've often argued this point with me, but how do we as a community see some movement that will help residents feel safer so that they can feel they can freely move in the town or they feel that their property is safe from intruders coming and stealing? How do we move that needle? We move that needle through continued engagement with with, with the frontline policing officers and, and continually moving our investigations forward. We're not going to arrest. There's always, like I said, there's always going to be theft. There's always going to be assaults. People are going to always, that's always going to happen. But how we respond to it, how we're a bit more dynamic in that we can move a bit quicker, that's the key. And, and that's, you'll see the needle moving when 
when we start moving collaboratively and 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 hearing exactly what it is the community want us to, to, to hear the truth, not necessarily some of the misinformation that spread. And I think that's why the Community Safety Advisory Committee, which um, uh, is still accepting applications till the end of November, I believe. That's going to be really important. That's a one month. That's a, that's not a governance thing. That's not a board or a council thing. That's just a group of people coming forward and giving our team, including me, what it is that's in front of them today and hopefully allowing us to dispel some of that misinformation. So, again, good police work, very visible police presence. Uh, really good uh, re re response times. All of those things are indicators of the, the needles being moving in the right direction. You can appreciate, I'm sure, the fact that there are people who live here who remember a time when they didn't lock their doors. There was a different time, and now we're in a, a different set of circumstances. How do you address the psychology of this? The fact that you know people do remember that there was this this period where the police looked after a different set of issues and not the same issues that we're facing today. You know what, that's, that's, that's the question for society in, in general, right? Like, uh, and I, there's so much has changed over such a short time and this, this rapid degree of change uh, since the pandemic, I'm not, not everything is the pandemic's fault. Um, but you're right. There was a time where you, you know your kids ran up and down the street till the wee hours and moms opened the door and they yelled out the door and kids scurried back into the various homes um yeah time times have changed for sure um it's not specific to Coburg. it's not specific to northumberland county it's 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 a changing time and a changing space um and we need to recognize that a lot of things that might have been there in the days gone by would have been able to house people with significant mental health crises they would have been able to have the uh, for the wrong reasons jails were far more populated sometimes um and in fact remains is a lot of ministries across the province and across the country have a have a vested interest in addressing the current crisis and that current intersect and as long as that is not being addressed from powers above us this is the new norm across Canada. And how we respond to the new norm is where we as a police service can be better. Where do we go from here? Continue to talk, continue to engage, and continue to respect. Um, we, we, we may not appreciate um, other people's position. Um, you may not, so you have to ask the question. If you don't know, ask. Um, I had a question over the weekend from somebody about uh, something, and I said, just ask. So I have a meeting with that individual on Wednesday. Um, don't live in this in, don't live in this sphere of this self spinning out of control misinformation. Ask the question. Um, I, we've our service is always very open and and transparent when it comes to that. Um, and encourage us to be better and encourage us and give us advice as to how you think we can be better. Where we go from here is remembering we're a community remembering to look after your neighbors and by neighbors i'm using that in a really broad sense yes the person who lives next door to you but also those people who share our grocery stores who share our coffee shops and who share our streets and and just just the amount of noise and anger that exists is 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 disheartening to be to be to be clear so we need to move the needle on that as a community for sure if anyone's listening you mentioned 
the Community Safety Committee. Can you just quickly tell people if they're interested in becoming part of this, how they can do that and when the deadline is? Yeah, November 30th is the deadline. Um, simple, go on our website, grab an application. And again, to correct the misinformation, I'm not looking for people to tell me how great we're doing. We're looking for people who are going to help us be better and give us advice and be respectful and create that discourse. So fill out the application. Um, the, the team will, will screen that out. We're going to be having a working committee. There's already uh, some people from our community who have applied who brought experience from the greater Toronto area. So um, that's great from these community safety liaison committees. So um, we're really excited to see how this step forward for us is as far as another engagement tool. Paul Vandegraaff, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. No problem. Thanks very much again, Robert. That was Coburg Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.